Hey guys, David, the healthness coach here, yet again with another episode. Today I'm going to be talking about some of the misconceptions in the fitness industry, as well as some of the misconceptions regarding being healthy and fit. Um, this is strictly my opinion, although I am definitely going to ruffle some feathers here. So, that being said, if there's anyone that has any comments with regards to anything that I speak about here, I'm more than open and happy to having a debate. The purpose of my podcast is to actually spark conversations and debates. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, if you've got comments, questions, concerns with regards to your health and fitness, feel free to message me on Instagram, healthness4cnd, or via my email, healthness469 at gmail.com. Let's start with nutrition. Nutrition is always funny, isn't it? There is not one diet type that is better than the other. So keto, intermittent fasting, paleo, all these different diet types. There is not one more better than the other. No one can mass produce a diet plan and say it'll absolutely work for everyone. As it applies to eating and nutrition, it really comes down to the style of eating that works for you. As long as you're getting some balance of fats, proteins, and carbohydrates in your nutrition, you're fine. Some claim that some diets are better than others, and they even have testimonials of people that say that this one works better than this one because of XYZ. Yeah, of course, it worked. Probably because some, if not most, of the people that went on these diets went from not planning their nutrition to planning their nutrition. So sure, I agree that there are obvious staples and information that we can use as a skeleton to help someone through nutrition. But the reality is it comes down to what that person's genetic predisposition to food is. Are they actually going to enjoy what they're eating? Can they find a way to enjoy adding whole foods to their day-to-day if they're not already doing that? You know, So there's things like that that we have to take into consideration when getting someone on a healthy diet plan or a healthy nutritional plan, right? In reality, as it refers to eating and nutrition, it's really trial by error. No one has the absolute answer. You got to try something, see if it works for you. And if it doesn't work, then you got to change something. For me, I intermittent fast. And I only do that because I know that if I open the window of eating, I'm going to overeat. I tend to do that. The other thing I do is I keep my carbohydrates quite low. So I'm anywhere, well, low for me. I keep it anywhere between um, 15 to 25% of my daily macros. And the reason why I do that is because anything over that at around 4 o'clock, let's say I start my day at like 7 in the morning. By like 4 o'clock, I feel tired. Like I've already gone through my energy stores and it just, the carbohydrates burn so fast with me. And I know that, this style of eating isn't going to work for everyone. This always cracks me up. Fat burning pills, supplementation, apple cider vinegar, turmeric, ginger, blah, blah, blah. Everyone always asks, what's the best thing to take? Look, listen, you should already be living the lifestyle of a healthy individual. Then maybe you can start to look at the little minutia like you're picking the seeds out of watermelon. Like all this shit may or may not work depending on what you're already doing outside of those things. Quote unquote, if you're looking for like the advantage, right? Like if you're attempting to, if you're starting off, like if taking on a life of health and fitness 
is your thing and that's a lifestyle you're trying to leave. If you are starting by attempting to find the quickest way to get to a goal without somewhat implementing the fundamentals of what it actually takes to get there, you've already failed. You've already predestined yourself to fail. Actually, funny joke as it relates to supplementation. If you're a complete asshole and you don't care about people and all you care about is making money, here's the secret, okay, (laughs) in the fitness industry. Take some regular grass from outside. You know, some grass on your lawn. Put it in a bottle and tell people all they got to do is add that grass to water. This way, they can become more hydrated and develop more strength and lose body fat much faster. Then, just slap on a picture of some the leanest person you can find on the bottle, okay? And then, tell get someone that has, like, let's say, my physique to tell everyone that they got to use this because I've been using it and that's how I look the way I look. I'm joking. Don't, don't do that shit. That's, that's nonsense, okay? I also find it very funny that people buy into consistency in a bottle. The other point I want to make as it relates to nutrition is that I find it funny when someone says that, quote unquote, 80% of what you look like is what you eat. If food really is the most important thing as it relates to aesthetics, then find me that person that can make me a meal plan strictly for me where I can look how I look now and only have to work out twice a week or a meal plan where I can have a shitty workout every day, like the worst workout where I'm like just hanging out and chilling most of my workout and still look the way I look. Think about that. When it comes to percentages and lifestyle, and percentage of lifestyle, I don't have to say much on that. Just come back and tell me that shit. As it relates to physical appearance, it's really predicated on the knowledge, practical application, and balance of sleep, stress, exercise, nutrition. And that ha- and, and that, the balance has to work specifically for you. Most of it is based on trial and error. So it's, like I said, a healthy balance, but a balance that works specifically for you. And you have to... Try different things at different times. Nobody has the overall answer specifically for you. You have to try that out and see if it works for you. And no, overall weight isn't always based on calories in, calories out. Because I know some people that only eat around 1,000 calories a day. Their metabolism is so screwed up. They're over 200 pounds. They're only eating about 1,000 calories a day. And they've been doing that for years and they're still overweight. So uh, that being said, you know... As it pertains to percentages and this is the way to eat, I really, really would make sure that you're getting this information from a reliable source, but then also that you're trying it out for yourself to see if it works for you. So since we're on the topic of nutrition, this isn't necessarily a misconception, but more or less a different perspective or a different point of view. As it relates to quote unquote cheat meals, I like to use what is called a reward system. And I learned this reward system from a YouTuber named Alan Roberts. It's worked so well for me and my clients, especially in the last year. So let's say you like to drink alcohol and get drunk sometimes, right? That needs to be planned. Anything that you're planning on doing that's probably not the best for you and your body is probably better to plan it out, okay? So what you do is you add more good things for your health in addition to what you're already doing day by day. 
So let's say we plan to drink alcohol on Saturday and we're Monday. That means that we'd plan at least four days before drinking on that Saturday to hydrate with at least an extra liter of water four days before. We'd also make sure that we're getting at least an additional half hour of sleep per per night. And we got to also make sure that we're getting a little bit of extra physical activity in our day four days prior. This way, when we get drunk on Saturday, the effects on Sunday are not going to be as terrible as it would be. Because what I found is that if you try to make up like a cheat day, it's like afterwards you feel bad about doing it, which I mean, you shouldn't feel bad about doing something that you enjoy from a psychological position. It isn't good for you to feel that way, right? As long as you're doing it uh, sometimes and not all the time. But like, you know, you also feel regressed. Like if you if you drink alcohol and then the next day you try to do a workout, it's like you feel like you've been doing all this work over, let's say, two months or maybe even a month. And then you feel like you've regressed back to where you were. So it, it, it sometimes it's demotivating, especially for a beginner. Right. So it's always best to reward yourself by adding extra things in your daily activities at least four days before. So that way, like I said, you're not going to feel as demotivated psychologically and physically after you've done the thing that you should be able to enjoy once in a while. I want to try and gear my focus towards exercise. I always get these questions even prior to getting a client or sometimes while I'm training them. Um, With regards to waist trainers and back braces, standing desks, look, as it it applies to waist trainers, I don't know the research behind them. I know that when you apply something like an apparatus that is not necessarily supposed to be on your body, it can create a lot of structural imbalances. If you're using a waist strainer, keep in mind that it may be strictly for what I would call an obvious obscure appearance. Then I guess that's fine. But as far as fitness and health goes, it's not going to give you any sort of technical advantage. With regards to back braces, makes absolutely no sense. I mean, everyone that knows me knows my point of view with regards to resting posture. If you're looking to increase resting posture, the only thing that I know that works is is by improving your breathing or breathing better. That over time will allow your po- your resting posture to get better. But what you're not going to do is change skeletal bone structure or the alignment or constriction of muscle fibers. So when you wear a back brace, you actually weaken the muscles that would otherwise give you proper active posture. So back braces... They're, they're, they're a no-go for me. My opinion as it relates to ergonomics, like sure, you can get a standing desk that doesn't, I mean, does it make a huge difference? Probably not. If you don't learn proper mood, movement patterns and how to apply them and you don't get the reps in with regards to the practice of, of, of proper function and the skill of being able to do the repetitions each week, like... Your body's not going to be willing to maintain proper active posture anyways. So just apply the primal movements in a training regimen at least three times per week and learn the basics of movement. Do some mobility at least once in your day when you are sitting down all day and you should be fine. The next thing that cracks me up is machines in a gym. If you're a personal trainer and you only ever use machines with your clients, my opinion is to get some education. Go get some CECs. Like unless you're 
training your clients for a bodybuilding comp- competition, in that case, you know, they're not really caring so much about muscle function, then what are you doing? Sure, I think it can be super beneficial to add machines in a training regimen if you're training a client and it can help increase metabolic stress on a particular muscle. But if you're only ever using machines as a form of training for your clients, there's a couple of issues with that. If your body can generate or a particular muscle group can generate more force than it can stabilize, that's a huge problem. Like say if your quads are stronger than your glutes, hamstrings, hips can stabilize during a squat or bend movement, which also so happens to be movements that you're more than likely to do in your day-to-day, that's where the problems start happening and your risk of injury goes up tremendously. Then it's like, you know, you wonder why your knees are hurting or your lower back is killing you after a workout. I find machines can help if let's say you want to increase strength in a particular muscle so that you can execute more volume or apply better function during a primal movement. But if you're strictly using machines as a means to get someone or get yourself quote unquote results, like I said, like that person either needs to hire a trainer would be a good idea. Or if you're a trainer, please go get some education. If you're using information from back in like 1985 to train your clients in 2020, there's a huge problem with that. I said also, I said this before, in my opinion, I believe that most trainers should be training their clients to be able to use their body as it was intended. The only reason a person should be in the gym working out is either because they enjoy going to the gym and lifting dumbbells, barbells, cables, etc., classes, all that other stuff, or that they are training specifically for some form of physical activity outside of the gym that they enjoy. You don't need to train at a gym in order to get aesthetical results. I don't know where this concept came from. Bodybuilders, what you need to do is find some form of physical activity or activities that you can stay consistent with that you enjoy because you'll stay consistent with something that you like. And this way, if you train in the gym to apply proper movement function, you'll be able to perform the movements well while preventing the potential of injury. This isn't Disney World or a playground where you're trying different types of machines and exercises to see what it's like. There is absolutely an exercise selection out there for you to get you where you want to go and to be able to use your body as it was intended. A good personal trainer can help with that and someone that has very good knowledge in muscle application, form and function can absolutely help with that. If you are experiencing pain during a specific movement, for example, like a bench press, it isn't necessarily about changing form or doing the bench press in a different variation. The reason why I'm saying this is because I saw a YouTuber explaining to people that if you feel pain in your shoulders during a bench press, that you either have to do a different variation or improve your form while benching. Like That's like saying if like you're cooking and you taste the food and the food tastes salty, so your solution is to add a different type of salt. Sure, the flavor might be different, but it's still going to be salty as fuck, right? So... Actually, kind of like a little segue, like what's funny is I train my clients like I cook, right? So I, I'll apply a specific movement pattern, see how it felt, how it looked. And if it looked okay, then I'd progress the movement pattern to something a little bit more difficult to see yet again how it looked 
and subjectively how it felt to them. If there was some sort of limitation somewhere, then it's like, okay, maybe we need to add something like a stability drill, which would be like tasting your food and adding some garlic powder before serving it. And then usually that sort of allows the the movement to um, um, look better or even feel better to them. So no, the solution to eliminate pain in a movement is not to keep doing the movement the same way or change it or change the variation or attempt to change your form while doing the thing that's causing you pain. That's uh, like a, um, a recipe for potential disaster in the future. You can change the variation of the exercise that you're doing for a specific muscle group, but to change the variation of the same movement, for example, you feel pain in your shoulder when benching, so you're going to go from benching on a bench to benching on the floor, that's not going to eliminate the problem that you're having while benching on a bench. What you should be doing is improving either on mobility or stability in the breakdown of that movement and then progressing to a point where you can effectively execute the same movement without the shoulder pain. Is static stretching before working out not good or will potentially injure you? Not necessarily. For me, I wouldn't go from static stretching to doing something you can't do. For example, I wouldn't statically stretch and then attempt to go below parallel in a squat and try to generate some sort of force from there if you can't do that. I mean, I certainly wouldn't add progressive load <laughs> to the thing you know you can't do, especially after static stretching. What I would do is statically stretch, work on stability from the range that you can't get into, that way you can start to increase mechanical tension over time and then progressive overload. Who in the world came up with muscle activation? Like your glutes or another particular muscle group isn't active. You ever hear someone say that? Listen, if you have muscles that are not active while shortening or contracting, you are in more than a world of hurt, my friend. I think what they might mean is motor control. I'm not sure. In reality... You either have lack of mobility to travel and create tension from a full functional range or lack of stability in a particular muscle or a particular range. So unless there's someone out there that can explain to me what muscle deactivation or no activation in a particular muscle really is, like I, I don't get that. There's some people that don't actually know this, but there is a difference between muscular failure as it relates to metabolic stress in an isometric contraction versus task failure, like while doing a primal movement. So in my opinion, if you're looking strictly for aesthetical value, an isometric movement would be better. Sure, you can grow your quads by doing squats, but the reality is that if you're doing a task movement like a squat, you might not fail that task in your quads. You might actually fail in, say, your erectors or somewhere else. That movement or primal movement might not actually get you to hit hypertrophy in the particular muscle that you're looking to target. So if you're looking at improving quad development, uh, the better option would be um, like a leg press machine or a leg extension machine. That would certainly be uh, the better option versus doing, say, a squat for quad development. And hopefully, I don't have to get into the hows or whys of why only training your abs is not going to get your abs to show. Hopefully, as a society, we've gotten past this. If this particular thing, you've got questions on it, feel free to message me.
As it relates to lifting belts, knee wraps, straps, gloves, shoe, lifting shoes, etc., you got to understand that they are yet again, just like what I said when I was talking about external apparatuses, it's an external stability device. You got to understand one thing, especially if you're a novice lifter, you, you're not going to learn how to be able to create tension and stability yourself if you're relying on an external stability device. Unless you're a person that's looking to compete in powerlifting or you're looking to do competitive Olympic lifting or CrossFit or something like that, sure, go for it. Learn how to use the belt. If you're a person just looking to be healthy or you're a personal trainer that doesn't actually know how to apply load in a proper way with functional range, it doesn't make any sense to wear any sort of external stability apparatus. It's like, just kind of like what Jordan Shallow said, would say, right? It's like, you're only as strong as the sum of all your parts. It's like, if you have a limitation that is preventing you from being able to um, do a specific task, like a squat or a deadlift effectively, like it's far better to work on imbalances yourself and gain that st stability yourself than to put on an external apparatus to kind of get you to be able to do the movement. It just, it creates a lot of imbalances. It's not safe, not practical if you don't actually know how to use it and apply it for the thing that you're trying to accomplish. And like I said, it's far better if you're wearing it because you're trying to compete in something, not for someone that's trying to be healthy. Like for me, I don't personally use them and I lift pretty heavy for me. If, if you're going to, you know, like I said, give yourself a small technical advantage, go for it. But if you have pain in any specific area, like your lower back or something like that, like it's not a great idea to do that. You're better to address the issues, right? Or if you're wearing it because it just looks nice, like you're seeing like some of your heroes, like powerlifters, things like that, wearing it, like, I don't know, I guess, like, I'm not going to say not to wear it if it's just something you just want to put on for fun, but like... Certainly don't rely on an external stability device like any sort of belts, wrist wraps, knee wraps, um, gloves, uh, whatever else. Like it's it's not actually going to give you any sort of like technical advantage, especially when it comes to having and an, an, an gaining your own ability to generate force and uh, apply your own practical knowledge from a functional standpoint um, as it relates to stability. Sure, you can use a belt to help and assist in, in stabilizing your spine by creating intra-abdominal pressure, but the reality is, is you should be able to stabilize your spine yourself, especially when it comes um, from a health and fitness standpoint, and you're just a nine-to-fiver. So just some closing misconceptions and probably some things that I personally disagree with uh, with regards to the fitness industry if you feel pain in your shoulder, your hips, your knees, etc., your doctor doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about, okay? Quote-unquote, don't move or stay still isn't going to, quote-unquote, cure you, okay? Sure, you can get an MRI to find out what happened to that particular area, but that still doesn't tell you or give you any sort of information as to what actually happened. My advice, okay, is before any sort of injury happens, I would get a personal trainer to teach you proper movement patterns. And if you happen to sustain a serious injury, like a car accident or something like that, go see a physiotherapist. 
If your problem is skeletal or bone related, I would recommend going to see your local chiropractor. Some trainers can actually help with reoccurring issues and pain in certain areas that aren't necessarily uh, traumatic or something like blunt, serious blunt force trauma. So be sure to let a trainer know if you're going to engage in physical activity exactly how you feel. So like I said, once again, there are trainers that specialize in applied biomechanics and they certainly can help you feel better if you have pain in your knees, hips, shoulders, things like that, that are simply reoccurring injuries, meaning like it's just wear and tear from your body being in a, a not so good for yourself um, uh, active posture. Personal, There are personal trainers out there that can certainly help with that. I've actually been able to get clients that had reoccurring pain to be able to move well and eliminate the pain completely. So yet again, there are trainers like myself that will be able to help you if it's simply a reoccurring issue. There are some like exercise or and or exercise equipment that I seriously have like not an issue with, but just like, what the hell, <laughs> right? Like the fucking half Bosu ball, okay? Like I have nothing against it if you have like, a serious injury in your knees or something like that and you're trying to go for rehabilitation or you're with a physiotherapist, like I think that's fine. But like if you are a healthy individual that doesn't have any sort of problems, like balancing on a BOSU ball, like what are you signing up for? Like the circus? Like it's a fucking parlor trick, man. Like there are far better ways to work muscles that work in the swing phase of gait cycle than to like be standing on like an unstable surface like you're not really doing anything or doing anything more you just you look like an idiot if you have a client that wants to say balance on like one leg while riding a unicycle and doing bicep curls like whatever by all means you half bosu ball but just know that there are no technical advantages to using it massages deep tissue massage foam rollers they don't do jack shit structurally. They just make you feel good, okay? So if you feel pain in a specific area or limitations in a specific area, don't believe that taking a, having a massage or using a foam roller is going to help improve what you're lacking, okay? It doesn't change anything structurally. It's all neurological. Look, I have nothing against massage therapists or foam rollers. If it makes you feel good and gives you a positive neurological response, by all means, go for it. Just don't believe that it's going to change anything structurally or improve on pain that you've had in the long run, especially if you're not combining it with regular and proper physical activity. The reason why some health experts are misled is because there are at times some research studies that are complete nonsense. Like it's it's not even something that you can gauge from. Like some of these studies that come out based on like exercise, science, nutrition, it's like, where did they get these people that they're using the study on? Like, did they come from the same background and lifestyle, etc.? Like, for example, if someone tried to do a study um, on my family, my immediate family, like I have brothers and sisters, with regards to like nutrition, how would they quantify that? Like, we all ate the same thing, experienced the same thing, but we all look very different. Our strengths in terms of physical abilities are very different. And we're very different even at the time when we were all living together. So all of these studies and research, not all, 
but yet again are not necessarily reliable. Textbooks and theories are very two-dimensional as well. Whereas in real life, it's, it's, it's all over the place, right? Like if you open your leg, like if you took a knife and you opened your leg, it's not going to look like the textbook version of what inside someone's leg looks like. Like it's a mess in there, right? I don't really think that anyone has 100% of the answers based on a research study. Even because it's so hard to quantify, it really boils down to the experience that you have knowing your own body or if you're a personal trainer, you need to use the research the research and studies as like a skeleton and then go on this journey with your client to figure out things that could actually work for this specific individual. So like I said, keep in mind that some of these studies are bullshit or might not actually work with the person that's sitting in front of you. Also, just because you know a personal trainer as a friend or family member doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to be the thing that's going to get you the goals that you're looking for or get you to the goals that you're looking for. Heck, I have family members that don't necessarily take their health and fitness serious and they know me intimately. So anyone can absolutely benefit from having their own personal trainer because in reality, it comes down to accountability with intensity, which a family member and a friend can't do that unless they are actually physically training you in a gym. And accountability with frequency, so making sure that you're actually coming in as frequency, frequently in a week as you should be in order to get to where you want to go. So it's not just necessarily knowledge or learning something that's going to help you get to your goals because if that were the case, you have a cell phone, you have the internet, uh, the information's there. You wouldn't necessarily need to get a trainer, right? So like I said, the benefits of having a trainer is for the accountability, yes, for the knowledge specifically for you, but also for the accountability and frequency and intensity. The other thing is you could tell your friend who looks aesthetically sound but isn't actually a trainer or doesn't actually understand muscle application and function to go kick some rocks because the reality is is just because he looks that way doesn't necessarily mean that he knows what he's talking about, right? So you actually want to get someone that has the credentials and experience to be able to help you to where you want to go. That way, they can figure out exactly what you need and figure out exactly something that is going to work for you as an individual and not necessarily something that would work better for someone else than yourself. So there you have it, guys. Just some of the misconceptions, in my opinion, as it relates to fitness and in the industry. Yet again... I'm open to discussion and hopefully some of these topics will spark discussion, even if it's not with me. I'm sure that there's so much more to learn as we progress as an industry. We cannot do it alone. The more of us that collaborate as a unit in the fitness industry to better each other for the general population helps others get closer to better and better information to help them. So we aren't in competition with each other. We are all fighting the same battle on the same side. The real competition is fast food, lack of motivation, junk food, not taking care of one's health, those things, etc. Those things are the real enemy. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. And as always, if you guys got questions, comments, concerns related to your health and fitness, feel free to contact me via Instagram, healthness4cnd, or via my email, healthness469 at gmail.com.